Hey everybody, this is Michael Stiles. Welcome to another episode of The Good Brew Podcast. On today's episode, we are going to be continuing our conversation on the story of the Bible, and today we will be in Act 3 of this six-act story and series. Today we'll be focusing on Israel and the relationship that that has in the developing storyline leading up to the act that we are in today, which we will ultimately get to here in a couple episodes from now. But before we dive into the episode, I want to go ahead and bring in the guy sitting around the table with us on my right, Mr. Philip Burns. How are you, Philip? I'm doing good. Brew. Brew. (laughs) On my left, Justin Harris. How are you, Justin? I'm doing just fine. Justin fine. Justin fine. (laughs) And across from me, Jordan White. How are you? Doing good. Had a Subway sandwich. There you go. Had a Subway. I did too. There you I'm a Wendy's man today. Today, we are still drinking out of Counterculture's Cueva de los Llanos, featuring plum, citrus, and almond. Uh, how, should I, how should I word this based on the last episode? Hints, right? More like how it's flavored versus... Hints, clues. Cuppings. <laughs> Subtleties. <laughs> Subtleties. Ooh. Nuances. Yes. Remember, these aren't just brewed into it, but they're they're hinted at. So Jordan, notes. Notes. I like that. Notes of the coffee. Would you say that coffee is a good brew? I would say that coffee is a good brew. All right. Guys, if you want to join us in our counterculture coffee drinking, go on their website. It's a subscription-based coffee service. Jordan is actually the one that introduced us to the counterculture coffee. Go on their website, Counter culturecoffee.com. It's a subscription-based service. Again, we get a bag a month, but you can pick and choose how you want it, what kind of origins you... Actually, Jordan, go ahead and for a moment. What do we mean when we say that that is a single-origin coffee? Let me guess. Let me guess. As you would expect. Let me guess. One place. Okay, but but what would be an example of a non-single-origin coffee? A (laughs) single-origin. So if it's non-single-origin, what does that mean? Uh, Just like blend of different origins of beans so you might have something from like peru and so Columbia. like so what yeah, coffee yeah. companies like do non-single origin coffee? well counterculture, well, counterculture has uh these single origin ones are named by their like oh, regions yeah. i guess and then they also have like stuff named like hologram apollo big trouble uh and those are not single and those origin. are yeah blended oh so a non-single origin coffee is not necessarily like bad coffee or better coffee or better coffee it's just a different t- right. flavor. It's just like so you got yeah, two you different regions coming together. Yeah, so what, I want I want to try that. I want to try that though. Like maybe we could mix some. Do you do you get single origin? Do you right? Do our own blends? Or well, you I would love oh, to try this. mix no, no, no. maybe some Dunkin' Donuts. We'll have Dunkin' Donuts. Dunkin' Donuts and Starbucks and see what happens. Oh, the world will explode. I we keep drinking counterculture. Maybe maybe one episode we'll have Dunkin' Donuts. So hologram, their hologram brand. That is a is it double origin? Double. I don't know if it's necessarily double. It's a blend. It's not so a single. It's, a hol- it's their hologram yeah, yeah, yeah. bag. Do you are you really drinking coffee if it's a hologram? Ooh. Ooh. And I got the uh, blend components for hologram up. You wanna know what those are? Yeah. So it is uh, from three regions: fifty percent Colombian, forty percent Ethiopian, Ooh. and ten percent Kenyan. I love Kenyan coffee, especially. That's two-thirds African. I want 100% American. <laughs> That's Dunkin' Donuts. Dunkin' Donuts. We'll drink, Dun- we'll drink Dunkin' Donuts one day. Again, guys, on today's episode, we are going to be continuing to trace the story of the Bible 
We started in Act 1, which was creation, and we looked at the vocation of humanity and tracking uh, the blessing, tracking this idea, this ancient Near Eastern idea of order versus chaos. And then in the last episode, we dove into the second act of that, which is when all of that Act 1 ideal falls apart on account of us, right? Humans. Account Forgoing of, their vocation. Yes, yes. So our vocation, we, we, we go out on our own, we abandon it. But before we dive into Act 3, what we're getting in here with, with Israel, why don't you give us an overview of the story as we've described it so far? The story so far is that God has created the earth, and it was a good earth. It wasn't perfect, but we were there to help rule over it, control over the chaos, and help to order that chaos. And then something went wrong. The fall. Adam and Eve ate the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Yeah, so she's deciding good and evil, or what good and evil is for herself, and she's choosing to basically like circumvent God's authority. Yeah. Philip, what would you say would be kind of your take on the, on the story, maybe more in line with uh, the vocation aspect? Sure, yeah. So God created the heavens and the earth, and he created human beings to be his co-rulers, so to speak, in this cosmic temple he set up for himself. Just realm for him to inhabit and for us to rule alongside him to create a world that's flourishing. Mm. Um, seeking the well-being of the earth, seeking the well-being of the creatures that God created, seeing the well-being of each other um, and ourselves. So that was the ideal. Not, again, like what Jordan said, it wasn't perfect in that it was completely, uh, its potential was realized, but it had room to grow and go mm. somewhere. And as we get go through the story, you'll realize that's the whole story is going somewhere. So what happened in the fall was essentially when Eve took the fruit, she was circumventing the system, so to speak, that God had set up and how we relate to him and how we were to relate to each other and to the created world. So by taking the fruit, she was deciding what was good for herself. And, so, and we're, whereas we see, we see in Genesis 1 and 2, God determining mm -hmm. what is good. I mean, as we look throughout the whole rest of the Bible, the reason why faith is, is like so essential to how we relate to God is to have faith in God is to not trust in oneself. Yeah. Exclusively. Now, how so, would you relate the fall specifically to vocation? Yeah, so vocation in the in the ideal state, you have humans rightly relating to God, rightly relating to one another in creation. That kind of trifold way of relating was the human vocation. Yeah. It's a priestly mm, function. Yeah, yeah. So, if you breach the 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 core function, which is relating to God, essentially deciding to create your own reality, independent of his wisdom and his guidance direction, that subverts the cycle, so to speak, of, of what it even means to flourish and, and be in a right, right relationship yeah. with God, with yourself, and creation. Could so, you say that there's, a, there's an angle of that, too, where obviously like we were meant to take this somewhere, right? Yeah, it's exactly. Part, but now there's a tendency to, I don't I want to take this only where I want it to go. Right. And also if I don't want it to go anywhere, I'm not going to. Like I'm going to keep it Self-interest, right. Yeah. Um, really, the whole this whole next act that we're talking about with Israel is a restoration or a shift in the story of God reinstalling yeah. the vocation of humanity with the people. He's choosing a people for himself yeah. where 
he is king. They are rightly relating to him and rightly relating to creation and, and the, to one another and surrounding nations. So yeah, so it's uh it's the place where God rules. He's trying to find to reinstate a reality where everything is in its rightful place. And that was the harmony that was the beginning right. to God, to each other, right. to the earth that yeah. we see destroyed in yeah. the third one. So yeah, I love so it. So we we create chaos as human beings when we subvert the order, so to speak, of creation. Yeah. And I was going to live misaligned. Like we talked about in our previous episode, um, the whole Genesis 3 to 11 is in some ways man's attempt to Mm. reclaim or find God's presence again with them, and they're failing. We see they've been exiled from the garden. We saw that at the end of Genesis 3. So now if there is going to be a... If if sacred space is going to be something that, and by sacred space, God's presence, right, with humans being able to um, share in that and to experience that. If that's going to happen, it's going to be on God. It's going to be God's initiative. It is yeah. prerogative to make it happen because they can build towers to the heavens and yeah. they're not left to their own devices. Right. They're not going to find it. We will it. only create right. more chaos yeah. without God's leadership. Right. Yeah. So I think it's tied in with the vocation. For humans to carry the vocation, they need access to and to be in the sacred space of right, right relationship in the presence of God. Right. So if they can't. They don't have access to that. They don't. I mean, obviously, they don't. They don't see God. They don't know God. They're not able to image God and carry out their vocation. Right. So we left at the end of Genesis 11, talking about this cliffhanger. You know, the, the people have been scattered. Right. God. God scatters them, and then it's like, well, what's going to happen? Okay. So now we're transitioning into a new act here, Genesis 12, and this is going to cover a really, really big chunk of the Bible. I mean, this is going to be Genesis 12 through the end of the Old Testament. Yeah. Yeah. So when we left Genesis 11 and the people have been scattered, right? And we talked about in the last episode, as Justin mentioned, that it had gotten to the point where there's just this distorted view of deity, right? People wanting either to bring God down to their level or wanting to elevate themselves as gods. Either way, just their concept of who God is... They've lost... They, who they're out God of, is and who they are. They're yes. out of touch with God. Out of touch. Out of touch with their vocation, out of touch with... Yeah, with, they don't understand... They, they've they lost the understanding of, of Yahweh and, yes. who, and, and who He is, what He's like. Right. And they're trying in vain maybe to recl- to find that again right. or they're... Whatever they're doing, it's not working. So they, they get scattered, right? And you read about that in Genesis 10. Take a, take a back step from Genesis 11. That leads into Genesis 10. I know it's confusing, but trust us. Now we get to Genesis 12. So what is God going to do to remedy that, right? So in order for God to restore the vocation, he needs to reveal himself anew as to who he truly is so that we can enter back into a relationship with him. And that's where we're going to pick up with Abraham. So the nations are scattered, right? We have, uh, was it 70? Is that the, I mean, who knows if it's actually 70, but this whole number. But anyway, so we have all these nations that are made, and the point of that is so God has diversity in nations, and he can pick one to use to show the whole world. So God picks Abram, and he calls him out to be eventually his family becomes the nation of Israel. But what we see here is we're zooming in on one family from here on out. We've we've covered the whole world over a long period of time. Now the Bible is going to take a magnifying glass and zoom in on this man. And so what would you say God is wanting to do through Abraham? 
He's wanting to save all the nations, but he's utilizing Abraham and his family or his line, I guess, in order to do that. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, I think how we should understand Israel ultimately goes all the way back to Abraham. Yeah, this is the rescue plan. That's the way I like it. This is the the final, like, all right, this is how we're going to get everything. Yep, this is is the long and winding rescue plan. Put in, Mm -hmm. and it starts, and it's unexpected how it starts in some ways. You know, this is the way God has chosen to do it. But I like thinking of Act 3 and the story of Israel is this is how the rescue plan is launched, and it's going to take us somewhere. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah, and I think think it's important to... I mean, obviously, act, we're choosing Israel to be Act 3. Well, we're not choosing. We're utilizing other stru- a structure of seeing the biblical story that others have said. But oftentimes in gospel presentations, the way we understand the story of the Bible, we, we kind of truncate or mm-hmm. totally dispel the story of Israel out of it, because honestly, I think we don't know what to do with it. I, I think yeah. we don't really have categories. Which is funny. We don't know what to do with most of the Bible. Of the- <laughs> I mean, just think, think, think uh, about it this way. Like, how... Growing up, you know, here in stories, it was just the story of Israel was always presented as like a big bank of stories where you could for moral, moral, yeah, like okay, David, David and Goliath, yeah. right? Yeah, that's the thing. The whale, yeah. So you like, can overcome your giants, right? Right, face your giants. And yeah, I don't think that. I used to. And think that's of, and I'm think not of saying it's like a cohesive like yep. actual story, right? And it's not like to say part. that there aren't like moral nuggets of truth in those mini stories. There are a ton. Like you could say, okay, David and they and, probably use those stories. Absolutely. And, and the Jews probably use those stories for Absolutely. Reason. Yeah. But the point though for this series and I think that will help get the scaffolding in order, right? Frame it. To understand the story of the Bible. This is one cohesive story. And Israel, you know, Act three here, this is critical in understanding right. how Jesus will make sense right. of anything. Right. right. Now, the rub comes in, though, because especially in our English translations, we do a really good job through a lot of the Bible of following a story, right? But then we start getting the out of order stuff, right? We get books in the kings, then we get the prophets, where it's like it takes place in the kings. So you have to see them as hyperlinks. Oh, yeah. And then books coming, being placed before other books where they happen after, but they're before. So it, but, I can understand how it gets complicated away from mm, the story. Yeah, yeah, it gets the way we, the way we organize it, basically is just uh, different than the way the Hebrew Bible is organized. But that's just to say everything from this point until the New Testament, regardless of if you're looking at the English order or the Hebrew order, it's all in this act. Right. It's all Act 3. Yes. And it's all dealing with Israel and Mm -hmm. who they are, what they're supposed to be, what Mm -hmm. they do, and and, and that's all going to be... There's it's the biggest be, textual act. Yeah, there's going to be the prophets. And, I mean, if you're just looking at what's in it, you've got, you know, the historical writings. You've got... The wisdom literature. The, the wisdom literature, the, the prophets. Mean, the Pentateuch. All, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's uh, there's a ton of different genres. It's pretty genres. much the entire Old Testament minus 11 chapters of Genesis. Yes. Well, they would even... But they would consider that as part of their... Right, but for the, for the act purposes. Right, yeah. for the act purposes. For the act purposes, sure. yes, yes. Yeah. So really, yeah. It all it all comes back to Abram, Abraham, yeah. okay, and, and the calling that God gave him. Which I want to read this calling. This is in uh, the initial calling, Genesis twelve. The Lord said to Abram again. He later becomes Abraham. I think it's just easier to call him Abraham. Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Yeah. 
That's the key. So, Philip, what does that say about what's coming forward for our vocation? Right. So I remember making this connection a few years ago when I was trying— I had this epiphany where I realized that Jesus' call to make disciples was directly connected to the call that Abraham got. Mm. Which is directly directly connected to the vocation of humanity in Genesis 1 and 2. So what what you're seeing here in Genesis 12 is God again kind of restating the original vocation of humanity that's tied directly to Abraham and his subsequent descendants. I actually want to read something from this book. This is going to affirm exactly what you just said, except it's using Noah's. Okay. So like, what book is that? Meaning of the Pentateuch by John Selwyn. No, it's the Pentateuch, Pentateuch narrative. narrative. Sorry, I have the yeah. Luke Hughes. This if is you're listening really, to this, you like this. Really, really good book. Really good book. That's, but, uh, a, that's a big book. Looking, he 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 put side by side Genesis eight and Genesis twelve, which is the basically what God says to Noah when he comes off of the ark, and then what he says to Abram right there. And he says, I'm just going to read them side by side. So, and God said to Noah, all right, that's text, and then and God said to Abram, God said to Noah. Go out from the ark. God said to Abram, go out from your land. Mm -hmm. God said, and then it says, and Noah went out, and Abram went out. Mm -hmm. And Noah built an altar for the Lord, and Abram built an altar for the Lord. And God blessed Noah, and then in the Genesis text for Genesis 12, and I will bless you. Be fruitful and multiply, he said to Noah, to Abram, I will make you a great nation. To Noah, I will establish my covenant with you and your seed. To Abram. I will give your seed this land. Mm -hmm. So the intent, like it's the same that's being traced through all the way. Like this is not something new. This is not a new ideal for humanity. This is not some new start. This it is a new start, but it's the same rehash, right? Uh Which then you could trace. You could trace Noah's back to Adam, right? Right. Right. Um, I skipped Noah. Sorry, but I just I just did illustrate your your point. I think. Yeah, there's continuity Mm -hmm. in in the callings and the blessings that God is giving to Abram that he gave to Noah that he gave to Adam. One thing so. that's interesting, though, I, that one distinction, at least I noticed just from looking at this, is the command to Noah and to Adam is be fruitful and multiply. But to Abram, it's I will make you a great nation. Like there's this more... God's taking on a more active Direct role. role. I wonder if it's like... Ensuring, and ensuring the bless that happens. Because mm-hmm. I wonder if... Because he's and seen... happens. Over the course of Genesis 1 through... Or 3 through 11, like we really fail at doing it ourselves. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. I never thought that God with Abram is more like, all right, in the past, I've said like, you go be fruitful and multiply. You've obviously shown that yeah. uh, left to your own devices, you can't do that on your own. Yeah. So you know what? I'm ensuring this is happening and by then, giving you a physical lineage. And then, and, then, and, and then let's just trace this further. So then what happens next, right? So basically, you have the whole story of Isaac and how Abram and Sarah can't have kids. And, God, and Abram starts wondering, how will I know that you're going to make good on your promise? And God makes a covenant with Abram mm-hmm. and swears on his own name. Name that he'll make it happen. That he'll make it happen. In other words, like typically in a covenant, two parties would... Would be right. have to hold hold up some into the deal. In this covenant, the text is very clear. God is the one that's responsible. He makes the covenant, and He's the one that's basically His name's on the line. He it's not dependent on Abraham. Mm-hmm. So, in other words, He's like, you want to know I'm going to do this. You want assurances? Yeah. Here's the assurance. I'm swearing on my own name, and if I fail, if I don't do it, then may I be like. You know, in, in this covenant ceremony, these animals that are mutilated here. Right. Yeah. Which I mean, ultimately 
He yeah. is on the cross. Right. So it's like I'm going to I'm when going to his body in two. Right. Yeah, that's that's really that's a really good point. It seems like God here is saying, I'm gonna get my hands dirty. Right. Where maybe before, not that he wasn't willing to, but it doesn't he's it it does in some ways seem like he's more watching it unfold. Right. But here we get a very okay, God's getting involved. Now can this, we make a quick jump, uh, do a little spoiler alert and say in the next act. This has to have a direct parallel with the Great Commission. Therefore, go, and I'm with you. Yeah, it, I think it's very yeah. Into all parallels into between all the Abraham earth. and Noah, Jesus, Abraham and Noah. God's commission, recommission of humanity involves ascending. The Great Commission say the, is Genesis one twenty six. Right. But could you say? But but it's it's back in order. So here, where it's more like I'm going to do this through you. Now it's more like. I'm with you again. Yeah, so, so we're still saying I'm going to do it with you, but, so it, it's, but a it's, more, di- it's a different way. It's like the it partnership, and, and I know we'll talk about this more on the next episode and the episode after that, but the way I'm hearing it, and correct me if I'm wrong, the way I'm hearing it is we're doing it together at the very beginning. That's obvious, right? Mm-hmm. And then we break that, and then we try it on our own. We're trying it on our own, trying it on our own. Failing. Failing, and not that God's like, <laughs> like, but like we don't have the exact mechanism of what's going on, except for we do see God continually to be gracious towards us. But here, God says, "I'm stepping in. I'm doing this through you, mm-hmm. for you, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm doing this through your line." And then, so it's more like you can't do it on your own. I'm going to do it. And then, in the next act, at the end of that, it's like, all right, now we're back in partnership. Not in full, right. not in full. It, but again, it's. Uh... Now it's a we again, we, I, we. Yeah, but in the next act being Jesus. Right. So, and Jesus is in direct continuity with this act, all the acts, but especially yes. act three. So um, if looking at that idea, I think one thing just to highlight in the narrative again is this bless, this promise of blessing. To yes. all nations. Yes. Yeah, through the ends of the earth. Right. So, so from the very beginning, we can say Israel, and I'm using Israel as a heading for Abraham and his family, right? was called out for a purpose, right. and that purpose is for the nations. For the nations. Right, yes. so that has to be said in the narrative, Israel exists for the benefit of the whole world. Whole world. And so when it went, Israel becomes self-consumed, or they are foregoing their vocation, I think it's helpful. Mm-hmm. In previous episodes, we talked about the difference between Israel and the church, dispensationalism and all that. I think it's really helpful to keep in mind that God always intended Israel to be the conduit of blessing through the nations, God's yep. people, always that way. Well, I think it's interesting, though, is it's not it's not an evangelistic call. But his, Correct. it can't be, because Abram needs to have his view of who God is cor- like corrected, because they're coming out of the Tower pa- of Babel story. Ab- Abram's a pagan. God, before he reveals himself to the nations of who he is, he first has to reveal himself to yes. this family. Yes, So, so that's so, why it doesn't say... Go to these nations and tell them right. that because Abram has nothing. Yeah. He doesn't. Well, well, their 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 missional purpose, if we want to use that terminology, is to relate rightly to God. Yeah, it's back as to a people. Yeah, that is how they bear witness which, to the, who the God is, which is exactly what Adam's supposed to do. Mm-hmm. So, if you look at is, Israel, is supposed to be <laughs> the human beings. Mm-hmm. They're true spo- human, true right? Humanity. So, this this path that yeah, they're going to actually have to. God's going to have to show them. And how, there's how be, to do that. Yeah, and there's going to be a thing called the law and the law, other things like that, right. which are going to play into that. But God's going to have to teach them and show them this is right. how human beings live. This right. is how we the, do it. Da, 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 how we right. do it. Right. So right. If, if, and once that, yeah, it's a priestly role. 
It's a, it's the same it's the same vocation that was given to Adam, but now it's being extended or restored, if you will, or attempted to be restored in the the nation right. of Israel. Now Genesis, as you continue in Genesis, it's going to continue to track this family, and eventually the nation of Israel is going to start. We see its roots, right? That's that's really what we see going on in Genesis. Is we're trying to understand Israel. Reading this is getting understanding of their identity because. Mm-hmm. Jacob is Abraham's grandson. Jacob becomes Israel, and he has 12 sons that that become the fathers of the nation of Israel. So then, fast-forwarding, let's pick up the story in Exodus, and let's see what's going on here, because I think it'll be important to talk about the Exodus, because this is such a founding... I mean, the Exodus is the key event. Well, yeah, it may be important stating that God promised them a land... Yes. For them to grow and flourish. Which, going back to the idea of sacred space, right. that we're... And the blessing. Right, and the blessing. Yeah. yeah. That's all That's all there. So, tracing the narrative, they get they end up in Egypt, right? Let's say this about the way Exodus 1 starts. So Joseph dies, right? Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. But the Israelites were fruitful, and they multiplied greatly, and they became exceedingly numerous so that the land was filled with them. They are carrying out the blessing. Right. It's working. In Egypt. In Egypt, yes. Yeah, so. Right. But it, it's working, though. Like, well, what? yeah, I mean, they're having babies. Right. But I think, but the way that, Ex- I feel like Exodus is explicitly worded right. that way to show, hey, Genesis God is, 1, God is still, Genesis blessing. 3 through 11 right, right. was not the mechanism, but look, when you follow the way God's laying it to be laid out, yeah. and God's, it's starting to work. And God's the one that said, I will do this. So, I mean, it's a God, it, it's, right. God's doing this. So, so they chase, trace it through, end up in Egypt, and they are... Slaves, basically, to Pharaoh, and the defining moment, as Michael's already mentioned, the moment which, in their mind, was like this: we are now a people. Is the Exodus? Is the Exodus? Yes, correct. this yeah. is the moment in their history which, year after year, they had the Passover, and this was something Still they, to this day. To this day, they remember this event because so, what did that show? Yeah, it showed that one God is God is faithful. He is for us. He deliver. He He's the one that. When their backs were against the wall or a sea, he's when the one fit, that yeah. brought them out and made good on what he promised Abraham. Mm-hmm. So I think for us to understand Israel as an act, obviously a lot is going to happen as far as historical events that we won't be able to talk about, but you cannot ignore yeah. the Exodus. Yeah, the Exodus and what we'll talk about in a few minutes, the exile, mm-hmm. are two actual events in their history that are important how we, when we move into Act 3 and 4, right. how we should understand the whole concept of salvation. Right, right. Yeah. So the big thing with the Exodus, though, just to keep tracing us forward, I would say is that this is when God acts on their behalf to save them. It's a salvation event, right? And I mean that in a very Jewish way. Like, they're, in, they're being oppressed by a people. They are brought out from slavery into a land that is their own to flourish. You know, yeah, words out now, like Exodus happens. God acts on his own, and he delivers them against like all odds, and he he there's no chance that they could have done that on their own, and the same time mm-hmm. he defeats the Egyptians, and and yeah, word gets out, like, oh wow, like yeah. you've heard about your... Right. I mean, you think about Rahab, right? And, right. And, but anyway, the key thing here, though, to keep in mind just for narrative purposes, before he gives them one Command, command, yeah. He acts On to rescue behalf. them, right? And then we get Sinai. So they're saved before the law. 
Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Salvation it's, it's comes. Not using saved the way we. Yeah. They're rescued before the law. Yeah. Or you could say God saved them. It isn't because of what they did in regards no. to the law. Is that's all after? No, we're given no. We're really given no. I, I, as far as I'm aware, indication that they were more worthy or more deserving or uh, than any other people. Right. This is God's grace entirely. He acts. He saves them, brings them out, and that defining moment, they are now His people. Like, you see what I'm saying? Right. And, and now... And their own self-understanding, they're like, oh yeah, we belong to this guy. Oh yeah. yeah. So for, much. The, for the sake of everybody else also belonging. But it's not there. Right, right. But it's but it's, it's dropped at the very yeah. beginning. This is the point of them, right? So right. now I will say, at this point then, God says, okay, now you're my people, this is how you must live in the world. And then the law comes. It's yeah. show the world what it means to be truly human. We'll probably do a separate episode about the law more in depth, but the law's function was, generally speaking, a way to set them apart yes. from the surrounding nations. And I think the key thing here is understanding if Israel upholds this. I mean, and we can, at the end of the Pentateuch, we can talk about Deuteronomy's, the end of Deuteronomy in 29, 30, 28, these, these promises that, hey, if you basically follow this, you'll have blessing, like in life. And these these themes that we're talking about. In other words, you will enjoy... A flourishing life. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah that, that was intended right. for human beings. Not only that, but you'll be a light to the nations. Yes. Right. Which I think for our listeners, where else is that language used? It's using Jesus' own words. Sermon on the Mount. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, again, which, yeah, we'll get to that in Act 3. Spoiler. So again... Act 4. Th- literally, I don't to not to be too simple or reductionistic... The entire history of Israel is about God's journey with His people and right. them rightly relating right. to Him and each other in right. the creation. So it's a journey of the human vocation, the formation of that, yes, of right. them failing, of God, of God's consistent pursuit of them. Give, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's so for the listener, so, go read Deuteronomy twenty-eight, twenty-nine, and thirty, and you will get the sense this is kind of like a summation. Hey, do these things, and there will be life and blessing, and you will be a light right. to the nations. Do not, if you fail to, then what's going to happen? Chaos. And exile. Exile. Literally the same thing that happened to Adam and Eve. The Mm -hmm. same thing that happened in the garden will now happen to you. You will not inherit the land. You will, I mean, these, all these, yeah. So to track the story, so moving forward beyond Exodus, so they get the law, right? And it's like, this is what it means to be truly human, to be in true, right relationship with me, Mm -hmm. right? So this is going to set you apart from the nations and help you be a light to the nations. And so then we get into Leviticus, and in Leviticus, we see how to live rightly when God comes to dwell in Mm -hmm. your presence, right? God's not not dwelling in their... No, Exodus, he does. At the end of Exodus, he comes down into the tabernacle. Yeah, and we have and, that's the, right. and he leads them by the pillar of of well, that's no, that's cloud and fire. Yeah, because so at the very end of Exodus, God is finally. That's key. Let's go to that. So at the very end of Exodus, if we're tracking the story, oh, coming God, off the mountain, God comes off mm-hmm. the mountain. His presence has not in not permanently, right? Because it's a, it's a mobile tabernacle. But God comes down off the mountain, His presence, and He's dwelling. So the ideal from Genesis one returns in a form. At the end of Exodus, mm-hmm. there is a pocket of God's presence. It's not in full, it's not earth-wide, but there is a pocket of God's presence in the tabernacle at the end of Exodus. Leviticus is all about how to maintain that, like how yeah. to main, how to keep God's presence in your midst. Yeah, right? and just in case you're thinking like, well, we're just making all this stuff up, um, 
we're not, but um, <laughs> no, like uh, the idea of the tabernacle, even the instructions, like it takes on garden imagery. So even in the yeah. in the Jewish mind, like this is now like recapturing a bit of Eden, like this yep. idea that we're in the same place as God again. Mm-hmm. So now, and, and it, what does John one say? Jesus came down and tabernacled among us. Yeah, the same word is used in, in, yeah. But so we now have this. Okay, we're moving forward. Okay, God is now with the people. He was revealed Himself. He's revealed Himself to a mighty act of salvation. In a mighty act of salvation, and now He showed them: here is how you need to live as humans, my Mm -hmm. humanity, my my human beings in the world, to be alive to the nations. Uh And I'm with you, right? Right. And if you failed, if you do this, then good. It's going to be really good for you. It means life. Yeah, life and And, flourishing, and for the world, it's going to be great for the world. And not is death. Yeah, death and exile. Now, and this is all Genesis 1 stuff, though, because... It's the same exact language. God's essentially back in their presence, and I don't want to say do what He says, but trust in Him, partner with Him, and it's life. Take take the law and substitute the law for the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That's that's a great analogy. Take it and say, okay, if, if, if you listen to me, if you trust me and what I say is good for you, then you will do this. You will you now, will obey this. Take the well, book. Well, the parallel would be trust my me tr- when I say not to eat the, from the tree of knowledge and evil. The law is live this way. Right. Trust exactly. Me. Exactly. Trust yeah. Live yeah. this way. Trust this way. what yeah, I have yeah, to yeah. say. And, and, if you, yeah. and if you don't, then you will be you will surely die and you will have exile. Mm-hmm. Right. That's the and same. And not because exact like story. oh you broke what I said, but it's because these are this is what's going to lead you to life. Yeah. It's yeah. like it's 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 not like I'm a big bad tyrant up in the sky and I'm gonna I just like to punish you when you right. don't Poof. obey me. Poof. It's like no. This is actually intrinsically what leads you to flourishing because this is who you were designed right. to be. Now, what we see in the book of Numbers is more the Genesis three through eleven, like just like in Genesis one, like the wilderness. We we're called humanity as a whole was called. Now Israel is called to be like this, and they're shown how. But Numbers shows even they still can't yeah. break the cycle. I mean, the golden calf. I know mean, we're backing up, but like the second God. I mean, like. <laughs> This is in Exodus. Yeah, back in Exodus. Sorry, I just want to say, like, oh, you're good. Within a within like a second in the story, it feels like they've already royally jacked. But if you up. think about it, Genesis is the same way. Like yeah. one and two is so yeah. quick, and right, right. Third page of the Bible, it's all screwed up. Right. So, so yeah, just uh, it it doesn't take very long to realize. Right. Oh, we're kind of stuck in this three through eleven cycle again. So it's obvious that Israel they still aren't bigger than the yeah. cycle, and God knows that. It's not like God That's, had here's the grace. high yeah. high hopes. Right. I he again, it's, the it's kind of idea. what we've we've been saying all throughout this series is like God is committed to the project, mm-hmm. the original mm-hmm. right. blueprint yeah. of what a flourishing world looks like. And it involves working alongside it, human beings who are in a right relationship with him. And so the whole history of Israel yeah. is yes, of them failing, failing, failing time and again, but for him continuing yeah. to pursue them in light of their yeah. failure. And if they don't get it, he's going to eventually come down and show them how to do so it. So then what we get in Deuteronomy is the end of that the first section and what happens, they're on the they're on the brink of entering the promised land, right? This ties all the way back to Abram where he says, I'm going to bring you into a land, right? They're on the brink of it. And then Moses says, but, goes back to that life and death. If you trust in God, this is life, but if you don't, in death. And the reason that Moses is saying that is because he's dying, right? So... Then we get into Joshua. They get a little bit into the land. We see another crossing of the Red Sea, another emerging out of it. And then once we start getting into the books of Samuel and the books of Kings, we start to see Israel. They're no longer just this nomadic nation, but they're now starting to become 
a human kingdom. I don't want to use yeah. the, I don't want to use the heavenly kingdom, but like yeah. a kingdom. Yeah, they've organized themselves in such a way under God's leadership to kind of be their, be their own they're their own nation. And they have their own king now. Right. So, okay, to track the king, that's going to be a a theme that's going to be important. Yeah, this idea of a of a even though you look at how it begins maybe with Israel wanting to forsake their vocation, because if you remember in their cry for a king, what do they say? We want to be just like the other nations. Just like the nations, with God's like, no, you don't. No, that's not what my plan is for you. Yeah, Yeah, your plan, yeah, I actually want you to be unlike the nations. Mm -hmm. And in the the ideal state, God is king Mm -hmm. over his people. Well, he says that. He says they have, when he talks to Samuel, he says, hey, do what they ask. They have not rejected you, but they've rejected me as king. Right. So So God gives them what they want. Yeah, so even even again, God is working through. Right. Their, their stubbornness and yes. their failure to actually live their well, vocation. Who, I mean, look, they want the tall, big guy to be king, and God's like, I'll give you what you want, but that's not what I want. I want the small right. scrub to be king. Yeah. So yeah, I'll so, take that king and then just let my plan yeah. work its way yeah, out. Yeah, so Michael's referring, obviously, to King Saul, who's the first king of Israel, and then the second king, who is the, if you want, the iconic, the legendary, golden age king, if you will, even though he has major flaws, is King David, mm. which will... You could make the argument, I would say, of... David as king is supposed to be okay. Now you're the king. You be the you live truly human, right? You be the you're true the focal human. point. Like your you're... people will follow you. Right. If you image me, mm-hmm. your people will image you, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the, obviously, David still falls victim to the same cycles that we see when he the whole thing with Bathsheba, and then obviously his family just deteriorates from there. So even David, the ideal king, who God says is the man who is exactly. after my own heart, which is Hebrew way of saying he images me. Yeah. Like, David images me. He still is falls victim to the same right. stuff we've seen all through. So then what happens? We get into the book of Kings. David dies. We get into the book of Kings, and we and have two, Just two really kingdoms. fast on David, just one little thing, sorry. At this point, there's also the desire for the temple. And I got yes. So, so David wants to build a temple. Mm-hmm. David says, "Because remember, the ark is still around, right? So God's presence is, is still there. It's mobile. Right. The ark is mobile. Remember, it's not the tabernacle as a whole. God, we should have mentioned that the ark was the was like Eden, right? That yeah. was the most the holy seat. place, mm-hmm. exactly. And David says, "I want to permanently place your name. So to, that's what he says. I want to permanently place you in a spot. So yeah. no more mobile. This land. I want to build a temple. And God says." You won't build a temple, but your son will build a temple. Wink, wink, right? Yeah, the point that that's now on the table. So the temple, for those who may be wondering, you know, what about this temple idea? We hear a lot about that. This is where it comes into play with David and Solomon actually actualizing it. So his son does build a temple, but there's a nuance. There's a nuance. We'll get to this in Act 4, but does it mean his actual son or... Redefining right. the temple or like David in episode David's, three, yeah, or yeah, in the way that David's son often refers to Jesus, like often, right, the son of David, right, yeah. right, right. So then, what happens is David dies. Solomon, his son, builds the temple. God is permanently there, like that's huge. So now, God came down in Exodus; He was with them, but now it's permanent. Like, God wants to take up permanent residence, right. with and to them, people. to yeah. them, like it, this is like it's happened. Sure, like they still see the cycle of sin and oppression and, and falling short, if you to use some Paul terminology there, but to them, this is huge. God is permanently back in their midst, and to them, right? So then, fast forward, the nation splits in two, right? You have the north and the south. Israel as a whole is split. The north retains the name of Israel. Ten tribes in the north, two tribes in the south. They split because of Solomon, right? No, it's uh, his, his civil, son. civil war. 
They're oh, that's Solomon's right. son. So Solomon right, right, and right. David have a unified Israel. Rehoboam, I think, is his son. Yeah, and then Jeroboam. And, and Jeroboam comes, and he becomes north. And so the north, though, they, for lack of better usage, they all suck, right? There are zero good northern kings. Yeah. And so they, the north is just wiped off the map. They get, the Assyrians come in, 722, and they are no more. So there's two exiles, but there's only one return from exile. Yeah, yeah. And when we, and obviously when you hear the word exile, that's typically focused with the Babylonian exile of five Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... The but, first, first one is is. Uh, but leading up to the exile, though, it's because all these kings, for the most part, even the the a couple good ones in the south, it's not enough. God just like you like. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta go. Yeah, and it seems like I mean, it, it would have happened like a, a reflood. It seems like it would have happened that, that the southern kingdom was going to get nuked too if it wasn't for like Hezekiah, right? So there's this, you know. Could you make the argument that the south returned because there were good people? that had been in charge, unlike the North. So the North gets taken over by Assyria, and they're done for. They never return. Yeah, I mean, this is where you have the roots of the Samaritans and this idea of the people who stayed in the land while the southern kingdom, a couple centuries later, gets taken over by Babylon, right? And then they get shipped off. So that's 586 or so. But they come back. That's the huge thing. They do come back, right. And some of them do. They get... Swallowed by the whale and vomited back out. Yeah, yeah. Wink, wink. Right. Yeah, so Exodus and Exile, right? The two events, and they're easy to remember because they both start with X. But the uh, Exile shapes the understanding of the Jewish people, their own self-understanding. Like, why did this happen to us? Just the reflective literature you have in the Old Testament on... why All the prophets, essentially. Yeah. All the big prophets, minor prophets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you really want to, like, go read Daniel's prayer, like in Daniel 9, and you look at this... They understand, hey, we have done this to ourselves. We've but, been disobedient. We've right. been unfaithful. Right? But the consistency, now this is what's so good. If you if you read through the prophets, you will see that they appeal to God to do something, not because they deserve it, though, because they know, God, your name is on the line. You've attached your mm. name to us as a people. And yeah, we've blown it. But your name is on the line with us, so God, please do something, because your name's being mocked because of what's happened to us. So do something, act on our behalf, not because we deserve it again, but because your reputation is is on the line here. And that's when we see God promises to actually bring them out of the exile, which is exactly what happens, but it's not because necessarily Israel was fixed, so to speak, right? They're still... There's this brokenness, and then that's when we jump, you know, even in the midst of that, we see prophets like Ezekiel saying things like, okay, well, how is God going to fix it? And that's where you get these promises of something yet to come, Ezekiel 36 and other places, where he says, I will have to do this myself. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna again, put, he says it again. Yeah, I'm going to have to put my spirit in you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give you a new heart, mm-hmm. and I'm going to cause you to obey me. Mm-hmm. And that's the language that the Old Testament uses, and then it kind of just sits cliffhanger you know it's kind of like okay our english bibles don't help us make sense of how the old testament ends as well as the hebrew bible does because the hebrew bible ends in second chronicles actually it's ordered more story-wise whereas ours ends in malachi so i don't want to go to the end of malachi and say well how does malachi end because it won't make sense but if you read the end of second chronicles chronicles is an overview of the entire story that's why i think it's really good personally if you're reading through the old testament don't go from kings to chronicles Go from Kings to the prophets, end on Chronicles. It's an overview of everything. But I love this because at the very end of it, it says, 
He carried into exile to Babylon the remnant who escaped from the sword, and they became servants to the king Nebuchadnezzar and his sons until the king of Persia came to power. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem and Judah. Any one of his people among you, may the Lord his God be with him and let him go up. Dot, dot, dot. Yeah, so you're, you're left hanging again on kind of a cliffhanger. What's going what to that? What's gonna happen? And I, I think a good way to look at the, I know this is really speaking in big general generalization here, but a good way to understand the story of Israel is it's a zoomed-in version, but also a much longer drawn-out version of Genesis uh, 3 through 11. That's a good call. I mean, it really seems like that. It seems but like... But the difference would be, though, here it's, wait, God's going to do something. Yes, and that Genesis 11 is... Is God going to do yeah, something? Yeah, yeah, is God going to do something? And now it's like, okay, God said he's going to do something. And he said very specifically what he's going to do in certain places, like, hey, I'm going to send my spirit. And this is where I want to maybe, if you're cool with this, trace out a theme that does very much begin to develop. And that is this idea that there will be some type of representative for Israel. And there are places that that's traced. And I think for us to understand the next act, this is going to be really important. For us to understand, do we need? I mean, would that where the Son of Man there's comes yeah, in? You've got it's part of the picture. You've yeah, got Son, Son of Man. Man. You've got the. You've got even the uh, seed of David, right? You've got seed Second of David. Samuel. You've got the prophet like me of mm-hmm. Moses in Deuteronomy mm-hmm. 18. You've got mm-hmm. the scepter of Judah in mm-hmm. Genesis 49. People you've got in, the suffering servant yeah. of Isaiah 53. You've got a lot of different pictures. Of Israel placing is, their hopes and dreams on is, a person, it's on, focusing in on on an individual. On an individual, yeah. They had shelf space in their heads for a godlike figure, mm-hmm. but it wasn't what would be later conceived of as tr- second person of the Trinity. Oh yeah, exactly. Well, it's like it's the idea of they have the shelf space, but they don't realize that it's a different book than what they're probably expecting to go on that shelf. Yeah, that's right. a good way to look at it. Right. That's a good way to look at it. Yeah, and so... I think I've also heard it said that the story of Israel is the story of humanity. Mm-hmm. And I even think if you've yeah, never read the Bible... Which, if you've never 11. read the Bible before, I think our obsession with superheroes and mm-hmm. placing our hopes and fears on political candidates, I think it's just a part of the human experience is we want to stake the trajectory of our lives, the 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 world that we want, on someone we can see, hear, and touch that we can identify right. with, but also who has the power to carry them. God's ultimate desire is to be so tangible to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I think what we have happening in Act 4, and then for the rest of the story, consummation is that beyond, tangibility. is the tangibility yeah. that, right. that what, uh, he's always wanted from the beginning. He's not revised the story to suit our needs, so to speak, or our wants. Can we talk for just a brief minute? We actually, I think we overlooked this when we talked about the exile. We just ran right through it when it's such a huge part of it. The fact that the temple gets destroyed mm-hmm. in the exile and what that means. Yeah. I mean... God's presence, right, is dwelling in, in full, right? It's, it's the finality. It's permanently dwelling with us. Not in full. I take that back. Sorry. But when the temple was built, God's presence is permanently dwelling. But then when they all get exiled and the temple gets destroyed... That's a revoking of that presence, and it's. Yeah. But that's why Ezekiel has the vision, if you remember, on the riverbank right. in right. Babylon, right, of God's presence, not in the temple, though. 
Right. But then, so like Second Chronicles would end with another temple already having been built. That's what Cyprus, when he sends it back, they build a new temple. We read that. It was Obadiah and that stuff or something like that. So they embark to build a second. Once they return, and we see this in, in, the, in the later prophets, they build a second temple. But there's this sense, though, of we're back, but we're not back in full. This temple, God's presence has not returned to dwell in this temple. So we're back to our place. We're back to our land. But there's, there's a, something there's another missing. another return that has to happen. Yeah. It, when will, th- there's something missing. This yeah. temple is not. It's like we're still in, this is N.T. Wright's idea of like, yeah. you're still in exile, even in your own land. Right. And, that's, and I think there's something we can reflect on mm-hmm. zooming out about the human condition, mm-hmm. that there's a part of us that feels like we're not home. Right. And it's Which like... Which people say, it's heaven. Right. But I, yeah, it's like we were not made for a non-physical Dude. realm, ultimately. We were made for Earth. Let and me, so We're home, but not home. Let me home, give you the most... Home. Yes, good the, call. The, the, the closest I've come to experiencing like that, like something very similar to that, I mean, I probably experience all the time, but like in a very close parallel, at least... Obviously, I went to University of Georgia, go dogs, and I was there for five years. Um, Sorry, I think our mics just scratched <laughs> out there. <laughs> Whoa, yeah, that was yeah. weird. Try that again. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I was there for five years. To, Where at? at? At, you know, University of Georgia, go dogs. I think, sorry, this is a Michael <laughs> the Future. Every time Justin says something, the mic goes out. Sorry. Yeah, nice. Anyway, I was there for five years, took the victory lap, and I remember when I was in college, like just there was almost something magical about Athens. Like there really was. Like go, going up there, and Michael's rolling his eyes at me. But gosh, I thought we were saving hell <laughs> for, for the record. <laughs> for our listeners, Michael is a Georgia went to Georgia Tech. Yeah. So anyway, there was something magical about Athens. Just the memories you made, everything about it, and even still in my mind, I can remember like you think about the good old days of when I was in college with all my buddies. I remember the first time I went back after I graduated, and it was like, it was Athens, but it wasn't. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? It was yeah. like this shell of what it used to be. And I know that's not any, anyways the same thing, but... But for, get, the, for the Jew to come back to Israel yeah. with a destroyed temple... Right. It's a, it was like a shell. It's like, this is... Yeah, it's like, I'm here, I'm here but yeah, I'm, I'm here, but it's, not really here. Yeah, exactly. Now, that carry, all, and that the carries all the way. Was the Ark in the rebuilt temple? I don't know. Or did they destroy so. the ark? Was the ark destroyed? I don't know. They still had the Holy of Holies, but whether or not the ark was in there... That is a good... I don't know. We'll so, have to reach, that's a good question. Yeah, so, but just to move things along. So by the time of Jesus, the same sentiment or uh, fog, so to speak, that was hanging over Israel extended into that time of not feeling home, even though they were in their land again. Mm-hmm. They were very much anticipating God to act again, to speak again. They hadn't had a prophet... In, I don't even know how many hundreds of years. Yes, and so there was probably cynicism, but there was also a lot of expectation that God would act soon. And this is, yeah. So this is where almost like Exodus level kind of like event again. Mm -hmm. It's like an Exodus, but also a returning, a new Exodus, a new Exodus. uh, Yeah, a return from exile. Right, because you're under occupation from a pagan nation. Yeah, I mean, you have corruption even still within. Their own ranks. Right, right. right. We'll so, talk next episode about how Matthew, the beginning of the New Testament, about why Matthew picks up on a genealogy. But to set us up for that, we have to get this point in this episode about there was an expectation before Jesus even shows up that there would be someone... When God acts... That it would look a certain way. Mm-hmm. And what, would, what do we know about it? We know, okay, well, we need... 
the son Roman of David. Roman to be boot. Well, yeah, yeah. But who, yeah, who will be who the person? Who would per- do it? Who would be the person to do a it? A person. Yeah, who would be this this person? Well, the son of the son of David, right? Mm-hmm. Son of man. Yeah, the, the son of man figure in Daniel, Daniel, Daniel 7. 7. The seed of Abraham, right? Mm-hmm. So one of our own. Now, mm-hmm. Daniel 7 one takes of place own. in the context of the exile, right? Mm-hmm. It does, yeah. Then you have the passage in Isaiah about this the suffering servant, which is... In some ways, it's it's it, it obviously it directly applies to how Jesus right. understands himself. But I think people missed out on seeing that as far they, as I don't know if they con- made the connection exactly. His con- Jesus, I think, did for sure. Jesus did, but they didn't the, conceive of mm-hmm. the Messiah right being one who would be kill- killed by the Romans. Right, they, right, yeah, right. But they'd the, be the one that punt the Romans out. Yeah, the point is in this in in, in Act Three, this hope of God acting is focusing and crystallizing in right. on an individual. Who will act on God's behalf? Yeah. Who would sum up all of those images as they're represented by all the hopes that they had mm-hmm. right. of, of a God? Yeah. So God it's like even God. in the midst of, so you have all of humanity, and then it dials in on smaller, the nation of Israel, mm-hmm. and even from there, it's going to dial in specifically mm-hmm. on one well, man. It's, yeah. And it's even, I mean, if you want to trek with it, even within Israel, how it's, it focuses down from all Abraham's Israel. family to, 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 to Judah. To David's family, oh, it keeps getting smaller. And smaller. Yeah, how it keeps narrowing down. Yeah, yeah. Until yeah, we're, yeah. we're getting, so, who, where will it finally just laser focus right. on? Yeah. So, at, yeah. so at the end of Act Three in the text, yet again, we have a cliffhanger. We know someone is coming. Oh man, it's so such a large chunk of history. But I think the best way to set up Act Four is given the original vocation given to Abraham. In Israel, that is directly linked to what he said to Noah, which is directly linked to what he said to Adam, mm. is God making a renewed humanity and new humanity. Obviously, Israel fails at that vocation throughout their entire history. And so I think underneath the surface, there's this hope of like one day there will be someone who hits the target every time. Yeah. And, and we can place our hopes in our round right. that is so right. from Israel. Sorry, if Israel is supposed, as a, if Israel as a whole is supposed to show the world how to be human, but they're mm. failing. You know, God's gonna. God's committed Himself to Israel. Now we need at least a portion, or maybe even an, one individual, one individual, one Israelite, to show us the way. Yeah. So if we can have that, because we've had a Moses, David, right. all these other they've one, all failed. They've all failed. Right. They need that that focal point. So I would say, just as my takeaway for the listener, don't neglect the story of Israel simply because to understand who Jesus is and how he fits into the grand story. You you will miss so much if you exclude Act Three. I'm not saying you can't have a relationship with Jesus and without understanding Act Three. I'm not saying that, but I am saying you will miss so much of how he fits. You won't understand Jesus fully. I mean, it's, it's like looking at one lens of a kaleidoscope. Right, you're screening out again. I know I use this analogy before. It's like you're watching Return of the Jedi without ever watching Empire. Yeah, it well again or it, even Phantom Menace. Well, it may just and, <laughs> and it's also worth thing. it's also <laughs> worth noting. That Jesus understood himself in continuity right. with Act Three. Yes. So if you don't give Act Three any attention, you will make Jesus in your own image. That's which a is really exactly good. what God doesn't want us to do. Right. Which we have so done. Right. So I think it's really important for that to be the starting point. Well, I guess again, it, again it's human sense. vocation. Mm-hmm. Human vocation. You can't have the middle of a movie without the beginning. Right. Of the movie. So like, uh, just as God called Israel towards a vocation. So you, as a human, if God's if the story of Israel is the story of humanity, then you fit in the grid somehow. Right. You're to be a light 
like you're, to the nation, like to, to your nations. coworkers. Yes. Uh, you know, you're but still you called to relate rightly you to can't God. Do it on your own. On yeah. Your own. If you find yourself failing over and over and over and over and over again. Welcome to Act Three. Welcome to the Bible and welcome to Act Three. And maybe, just maybe, you need God to step in and do something about yeah, it. Yeah. Maybe, maybe the yeah. So guys, next episode we will be diving into Act Four. We're gonna be getting into Jesus, expanding this conversation. You guys, if you've been tracking along with us this episode, probably know where that's headed, as well as if you're familiar with the story of Jesus. After that, we will get into Act Five, which will be the church, which is the role, the act that we're in, the act that we are currently writing. And then we will finish off this series that we're halfway done with now. We'll finish off the series in Act 6, which is the consummation, which is uh, will be the end of our story. End time! End time! Or it will be the beginning of, the beginning new story. of a new story. Higher up high. That's, that's So the end of one story morphs into... Every, and, 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 the and the way C.S. Lewis says it, what is it? Every chapter is pe- better than yeah, the last. Every chapter is better than the one before. Further up and further in, my good brew crew. Guys, if you have enjoyed this episode or this podcast as a whole, if you want to go on your podcast of choice, maybe Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever you are listening to, leave us a review. That would really, again, help us out so much. Follow us on social media at Good Brew Podcast, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You can yawn as Justin's yawning as we... (laughs) As we do our pleasantries. <laughs> Follow us on social media at Goodbrew Podcast, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Reach out to us, ask us questions. You go on our website at thegoodbrewpodcast.com. Not only are we going to have some good coffee brew tips, but we're going to have some Bible brew tips as well. Uh, reach out to us, send us an email if you got a question. Bible brew tips? That didn't make sense. We got no, to- we'll keep it. Let's keep- it's like interpreting. Like, I don't, I don't know. Bible brew. Bible brew. I like it. Justin, I think at this, this I think. At this point, you know what you got to do. I know what I got to do, guys. As much as it pains me to do it, I'm going to do it. So, anyway, thanks for listening. Until next time, goodbye from the good brew.